You're listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled The Patriarch, recorded on December 3rd, 2017. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Hello, everybody. Merry Christmas. This is, if you're a first-time guest to Harvest, whether you're standing in the same room I am or if you're in Indiana, Pennsylvania, or Freeport, Pennsylvania, or Fairview, Pennsylvania, welcome. Um, This is the last uh, sermon in this series, Man, Woman, God, God, Man, Woman. I get it. It was God, Man, Woman, but the words come up anyway. um, This is the last one. So if you have any questions regarding what we've gone through um, you can still ask them. We are going to have a Q&A in, early in 2018 on an evening, so you can come. But you know, it's, it's Christmas time, and I get real excited about Christmas. There are Scrooges and Humbugs out there. I've never been one. I, uh, I've been in love with Christmas since I was a little boy, and hopefully you are too. I don't know how many of you... Have. We've probably got some Scrooges in every campus, because there's always a few, and some of you are just Scrooges, and we don't know why. But some of you are righteous Scrooges. You're like, oh, the consumerism of it all. And, and okay, I get that, but do you see the pretty lights? <laughs> That's good enough reason to be happy for me. So we will be jumping into Christmas. Um, I, I got a Christmas card. My first Christmas card came today. And um, it, I think it's the first one. Right, Lord? Yeah. And, and it had a, a picture of Jesus in, in the manger. Well, I don't know who was there to take the picture, but it was awesome because I learned, <laughs> learned something new. Because it, it was, it was your, your basic three-walled structure, of course, because <laughs> that's how you, they used to build them back then, three walls and the front, front walls open. And the baby was in the manger and there were no people there. And so that, I have to go back to the Bible and figure that one out. And I'll try to explain that to you in a sermon. My first theory, though, is that given the time of year, Joseph was probably in a tree stand. And um, <laughs> nearby, he could hear if the baby cried. So uh, when I was in seminary back in the 90s, in a church polity class, he, I really liked church polity class. You may not know what church polity is, but just the name could scare you into thinking this is going to be boring. But I actually enjoyed it. But one of the, one of the classes, the issue of should women be pastors uh, over men in the church came up. And someone in the class pointed us to Galatians 3.28. I'm going to point you to that right now. Um, and, and read this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male and female You are all one in Christ Jesus. And then that person said, this verse, that verse settles it for me. I mean, in Christ, there's no distinction. You're not more important if you're a Jew. You're not more important if you're a man. You're not more important if you're free. We're all equal, so there's no distinction between male and female. There's no reason why a woman can't be a pastor over men. That settles it. Um, I, I, uh, it was a small class, about eight people. Uh, normally, I'm pretty quiet in a small group, so um, that was a joke. <laughs> you guys don't know me at all, do you? So I said, well, wait a minute. Are, are you taking that in context? I, and I said, if you're saying that this erases the male-female distinction for pastor, 
Where do you cut that off? And then, remember, this is back in 1996, around then, right? Before the world changed on these things. I said, do you realize that, that by that same logic, you couldn't distinguish whether a Christian man could go into a woman's bathroom or if, a, if two men could get married? This is back in 1996. They scoffed at me. They said, oh, you're crazy. Those kinds of things would never happen. (laughs) Those things have happened. Those things have happened. Because if you take the text out of context, where you start to step off, you may say, well, all I want to do is make sure I can defend what I want. That women can be pastors. I think that's what I want. So let's defend that from this text. But that if, if you're going to interpret it that way, it's like you have a bunch of dominoes stacked together. If you push one over, it's going to push all the ones close to it over. And sometimes they just keep on going. So in our map today, I want us really to write down that idea. Um, when we take one verse out of context... Or reinterpret it, reinterpret the scriptures in one place, the effect does not stay contained. If you push over one domino, they all fall down, right? So, Harvest Community Church is a church that's based on the Bible. I know we, we look like we're, we're hip because you got a young, hip, cool pastor who preaches from a table. Well, at least the table part was true. I don't know about those other. You know, you got the modern music and you got, so that means you're selling out to the world and, and you're kind of soft on, no, we are, we, we are as orthodox as Peter. All right? We, we believe the Bible's true, every word from beginning to end, that God has something to say, that he sheds light on us through it. And if, if he says, stand on your head and spit nickels and paint the bottom of your feet with peanut butter, then we're, we'll have classes on how to pull that off. Whatever God says, because we trust he knows more than we know. But if you try to twist a scripture because you want it to say what you feel in your gut is right, remember, your gut isn't trustworthy. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Right? And Judges, the book of Judges, one of the most... Uh, shows the wickedness of man more than any book of the Bible. And the theme of it is, they had no king, and each man did what was right in his own eyes. And they were awful. We have to do what the Bible says. Today, we see evangelical churches. I'm not talking about the mainline denominations. If you don't know what those are, it used to be that you had Catholics and Protestants, and the Protestants were all uh, either Lutherans, or Episcopalians, or Presbyterians, or Methodists, right? They became mainline. And they all kind of sold out the Bible about 100 years ago. But then you had a lot of churches that were independent, and evangelical, or fundamentalist, and they were saying, the Bible is true. And they held on to the evangelical roots. And today we see those churches sanctioning same-sex marriage, and they're basing it on the text... Galatians 3.28. This isn't about gender. This This whole series hasn't really been about man and woman. It's been about whether or not the Bible is trustworthy. That's why it matters. If you give up on the Bible in the place where your culture 
is pushing you, you're a wimp. We don't want to be wimps, right? You're giving in to Satan. Let me give you another example uh, along the same subject. In Genesis 3.16, which we've covered here several times, the Bible says, Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. This is uh, where after the fall into sin, Adam and Eve hear the consequences. The woman hears, you will have pain in childbirth, and you will, instead of harmoniously loving and enjoying your husband's leadership, you will think, hey, I'm not sure he knows what he's doing, and you're going to try to rule him. But you're going to run into a big problem, and that is he's going to resist your rulership because of his maleness, and he's, going to, he's not going to be rulable unless he lets you. That's what that means. The, the, the leadership was in the first creation of Adam, as we've established from the New Testament in several places. The fall didn't take away, didn't change that except for the harmony went away. But it's argued by some now who say, well, no, this can't be. God does not want a leader in the, in the marriage. It's all 50-50. It's all equal-equal. It's mutual mutual submission, which doesn't mean anything, by the way. And so when they look at that verse, here's what they say. It's very strong. No, very popular argument. It's not strong. I think it's very weak, actually, but it's very popular. It's argued that, in, that this very verse, Genesis 3.16 is proof that the reason why men have power in the relationship is because of sin. Before sin, Adam and Eve, there was no such thing as him being the head. Him being like Christ and she like the church. That, that wasn't, that, there wasn't a leader. There was no need for a leader. There was perfect unity. There was no submission, no following it's just like the pain in childbirth. There was no pain in childbirth. So, there was also no leadership and no submission. That was a result of the fall. That's just bad Bible handling on a number of levels. One, we've already seen that the leadership of Adam is established throughout the Bible. But second, the pain in childbirth, indeed that came because of the fall. But childbirth existed before the fall. Leadership was in the marriage, but the pain came. But once that domino's been pushed over, and it has been pushed over, it has been pushed. All the ones after it fall, and the ones that fall go higher than earth. Why? Well, because if you say that authority and submission are only necessary in a sinful environment, which is the argument, you, then you have to go up to the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and you're going to have to argue that there is no leadership there. Now, for 2,000 years, the church, Christians, have believed in something called functional subordination, which means even though Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are one have the same essence, three persons, one God. They are the same in all things. Functionally, the Son submits to the leadership of the Father for eternity past. Well, that's been thrown out. It's absolutely been thrown out by many evangelical, so-called Bible-believing people. 
and their teaching in, in books you can read to make it look oh so reasonable to show how people like me are oh so backwards. But obviously, I mean, Jesus submitted to the Father on earth because of sin. In fact, he was the humblest man there ever was. The Bible says in Philippians 2, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. There's Jesus submitting to, 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 to the Father's will for him that he should die for the sins of the world. That's submission to authority. But they'd say, he didn't do that in, in heaven. In heaven, they're all in perfect agreement. They're all really just, they, they completely undo the idea of leadership in heaven. It's only in his humanity because he shares this nature with us that there's no submission. So what began as a way to avoid the plain teaching of male headship in marriage now becomes a way to change how you view God. Do you see why the stakes are so high? If you change one based on the Bible, you're going to change the other. Now, you may say, well, I won't. You may not, but the people you teach will. If you teach them... What the Bible says about the fall is that man's headship is just a result of the fall and Jesus corrects that when he comes to earth so that you don't have headship anymore and that's the teaching. And you say, well, you're going to change the Godhead. You might say, well, I won't. People you teach will because they're going to see what you don't. There's no logical barrier to stop them. If authority is a matter of sin, then if you have a sin-free place like God, there's no authority. They really teach this stuff. And they miss the clear teaching of the Bible. John three seventeen, for example. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The purpose the son was sent was to save us. But you will note that God sent the son. God the father sent the son. None of you were sent here from heaven. None of you were sent here from heaven. You began inside a biological being right on this great dust ball in the Milky Way. You began right here. But Jesus, being God, was sent. Well, to be sent, the language is clear. <laughs> You're not on earth. And somebody tells you, go, and you obey. And that's consistent with the teaching of the New Testament Scripture. The Father in heaven is the functional authority over God the Son. That's just basic Christianity thrown out the window. Let me give you another example, and this is one I want to sit on. And, and I know I'm talking about the, the disagreeable parts or the parts we disagree with, but we're going we're gonna to get to the agreeable part in the end. And that, I want to tackle patriarchy as a concept. Patriarchy is the magic word. This is the magic word that the opponents of the biblical way, this is the one. If they can, un, if they can turn the key of patriarchy and make it go away, life will get better. The word, the word patra, obviously father, right? That's the root. Anytime you see arch in a word, normally it, it means to rule or the chief. 
right? Um, if you think of an archangel, that's, that's the ruling angel. Or perhaps an archbishop is the ruling bishop. You might think of your arch enemy, Salieri, or no, what's a guy's name? I guess that's Mozart's arch enemy. Um, your arch enemy means your chief enemy. Uh, you think of a monarch, it's the same word, arch, mon for one, arch, king is a monarch, one ruler, oligarchy, many ruler, or a small group of people, an oligarchy, archy, patriarch, matriarch. These terms, um, a female ruler, male ruler, um, normally those two words are used in a, if they're used in a local family context, it's normally positive, Normally. Right? When you speak about my grandmother, my great-grandmother was the matriarch of the family. It's normally an honorable thing. She had a good influence. Or the, my great-grandfather might have been the patriarch of the family. And that's a good thing. But in general society today, the word patriarch is a cuss word. A swear word. It's a potty mouth word. Feminism of the 1960s which is the ruling feminism today. There are many women who say, well, I'm a feminist and I don't believe that. That's that's only because language no longer means anything and you can call yourself anything you want. You can be a man and call yourself a woman. I just heard that there's a school that's letting people identify at at whatever race they want. I want to be black and Japanese. And Hispanic. So from now on, I declare that you have to call me a black Japanic. (laughs) Now, of course, I'm being silly, but we've gotten to the point where words don't mean anything. Right? I am whatever I am. I can't change that. Well, you, you can call yourself a feminist, I guess, if you want to. But if you want to know what feminism is, read the ones who come up with it. And the ones who rule it today... And in the six days, they introduced war on patriarchy. That's the enemy in all its forms. Marriage first. Marriage is the enemy of feminism. Because marriage is seen as an inevitably patriarchal system. Even if two feminists marry, a man and a woman, he still has power to abuse her in that situation. Um, This is why... uh, Abortion is the essential sacrament because nothing gives a man ruler more than the fact that the woman is saddled with a baby and she needs the freedom from the baby. And so without abortion, patriarchal systems rules. The whole world is a system of patriarchy. Every nation ruled by men. The finances are ruled by men. And it's all designed from the feminist point of view with the explicit purpose of of, of enslaving women, children, and the weak and to hurt them and to oppress them and to exploit them. So patriarchy in all its forms, in all places, feminism didn't embrace gay marriage for many years because they don't like marriage. The only reason they're taking it now is because they see it as a way to destroy patriarchal marriage. But even marriage is a problem. The thinking goes like this, if men didn't rule, if they had no power, then men wouldn't abuse. Men wouldn't rape. Rape is a result of patriarchal thinking by society. That's the argument. Men ruling is the problem. 
And their strategy is multifaceted, and I'm not making this up. If you're my age, you've lived through it. The evidence is all around you. If, and no matter who you are, you can read what they say. They say it right out in the open. Worse, there's an assault on the language itself. This is purposeful. It's been going on for about 60 years. A purposeful assault on language in all nations, but especially in English, the dominant language of the world. If we can get patriarchalism out of language, the feminist thinks, language is power. If you can name something, you have power over it. So there's no more actors and actresses. You might say, well, I say actress. Well, that's because you're some kind of backwards bumpkin. If you, haven't you watched the Oscars? This great, where they just spew politics for two hours and congratulate themselves. And then they give the award for the best actor in a male leading role, or best male actor in a leading role now, and best female actor in a leading role. Pretty soon, I guess they're going to have to say, best identifying as a male female in a male reading. <laughs> you know, it's going to get strange out there. Death identi- best identifying as a sheepdog male. <laughs> There's no more waiters and waitresses. You're not, you would say, well, I use waitresses because you're old school. They're servers. There's no more last names in marriages. Hyphenate that one, or just keep your name. Now, that one's been hard to buck, but that's still the goal. There's no mailmen, no milkmen, no meter maids, no chairmen, no firemen. There's no firemen. They're firefighters, which, by the way, is a cooler name. <laughs> I'll give them that one. Changing firemen to firefighters is awesome, but it doesn't work well. I mean, you got milkmen to milk fighters. It doesn't really work. It's low-calcium fighters. I don't know. It's... Names of storms had to change. Names of storms. When I was a kid, all major tropical storms were women's names. Which, if I was a woman, I'd think was cool. I'd be like, please pick my name, please pick my name. I would. I'm waiting for Hurricane Michelle. That would be me if I was a woman. be awesome. But now you got to have a man and a woman, a man and a woman, a man and a woman, a man and a woman. Next they're going to have a transgendered storm. I don't know how you do that. One named after a pet. Hurricane Fido. Pronouns for ships was always she. Not anymore. You you see, the reason why is all these language distinctions were set up by men in order to keep a sister down. And the worst, (laughs) the worst offender is the language of, you know what I'm going to say? The Bible and Christianity itself. That's the worst problem of all. And make no mistake, the 60s feminists knew it and said it, and the so-called evangelical feminists are foolishly spouting the same thing they said and saying they believe the Bible. Kate Millett one of the most seminal feminists of the 60s in her book, Sexual Politics, 
wrote fundamentalist Christianity constantly thwarts feminism. Now, by fundamentalist, she meant Bible-believing. We, we as Christians use fundamentalist in, in, a, in a more nuanced way. But what we have in common with fundamentalists and other evangelicals is believing the Bible to be the Word of God. That thwarts feminism. It's in the way of feminism. See, the Bible empowers men to continually dominate the world. Why? Because it establishes marriage. And that's bad. But it's even worse. Why? Men wrote it. There may be a little bit of an exception here or there, but men wrote it. And if men write it, they're thinking, i got to write this thing in such a way that keeps a sister down. Feminists give us men a little too credit. We don't think that deep. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm, I'd be jealous of, uh, how come all the storms get to be women? I don't think that's keeping a sister down. I'm jealous. Hmm? Now, now it's fair. Going to be Hurricane Mike. Can't wait. A modern blogger on the Huffington, and the reason I'm quoting him is to show you that these ideas aren't, yeah, they were said by 60s feminists, but they're as, as recent as today's blog. I'd say today's paper, but I don't know what a newspaper is anymore, but I know what a blog is. And a, a modern blogger on the Huffington Post, his name is George Elric. He articulates feminism Exactly right when he says this, and I'm quoting, the Bible was predominantly written in a patriarchal context with male writers, not all, he says. It's mostly. I'm not claiming we need a new Bible. Then he writes, although there is something there to think about, but rather claim that we need to reclaim it for the feminist, for the transgendered, for the androgynous. Androgynous means no sex at all. That's, that logic is consistent. And the evangelical feminist lives with that logic, the so-called uh, egalitarian, whether they uh, admit it or not. The logic goes like this. Men wrote it, so they made the men the heroes. It's the same thing you're seeing in history class. We don't need to talk about George Washington or Thomas Jefferson or, or Napoleon. We need to talk about Napoleon's wife and Thomas Jefferson's wife. We need to talk about the women because they've been cut out of history because they Men wrote history, and they're trying to keep the sisters down. Now, it just so happens, there wasn't a woman in France who tried to take over the all of Europe. It was a guy named Napoleon. But that's not an issue. I mean, and I'm, I'm being humorous, but literally textbooks in American schools are cutting out some of the most important people just because they're men. People don't know history. <laughs> they know, really... Snippets of the social fabric given to them by modern feminism. Back in 1760, Sarah Smith, you know, killed her husband because he was a bad man. Sarah's a hero. And by the way, there was a guy named John Adams running around saying things too. But don't worry about that. He was an oppressor. The Bible is just like that. God is called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I was at an American Baptist convention once, and all the people up front were saying, they, they kept calling God the God of Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel. 
Which, okay, he is the God of Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel. He's also the God of my family. Mike and Lori and Mandy and Nick and I could go on down the line. But in the Bible, (laughs) by the way, if you call him the God of Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel, what about Leah? And all those maidservants. We've left them out. I mean, Jacob got around. Look at what a man wrote. Moses met God for the first time when he was 80 years old. 80 years old. You're never too old to get saved. (laughs) He was before the burning bush, and God said this, according to a male-written Bible. He said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, and he was afraid to look at God. God identifies himself by the names of men. In the Old Testament, the priesthood is only for men. Not all men, but one of the things you have to be is a man. You also have to be a Levite, but that's another issue. In the New Testament, God actually comes to earth and takes on skin. And guess what? He is a man. You people read this book, don't you see what it's doing? It's destroying womankind. This man, Jesus, actually identifies God like this. He says, when asked, how should we pray? And and then he teaches everybody in the world how to pray. He says, address them like this. Our Father. Well, if that ain't patriarchal, I don't know what is. Well, if the ruler of all things, God, is a father... Okay, think, think this through a minute. God sends his son, who identifies him as father, which is not male, by the way, it's masculine. Because male is a biological distinction, and God is not that. I mean, um, just a little side note, let me give you a quick rabbit trail. Women are generally more nurturing of small children than men, generally. Where do they learn to be nurturing? Well, they're made in the image of God. There's no woman who's more nurturing in a motherly way than God. No woman who can comfort her child better or is more comforting than God. But that doesn't mean God's a woman. He made us two sexes, and we're both in his image, but he reveals himself in the masculine. And if he is the ruler of the universe and everything outside of the universe and everything of eternity and he sends his son and says, call me dad, then this entire universe is a big patriarchal plot to keep a sister down. Can you see why the Bible's a problem? This book has to go. But evangelical feminists, they may not even call them feminists, but so-called evangelical egalitarians, instead of saying the Bible's got to go, they just change the way it's interpreted, make it comfortable in their culture for themselves, and say this is Christianity. And all those people at Harvest who believe what that guy says are backwoods and they're part of the problem. Feminist evangelicals realize the problem and they've worked hard to fix them. One of the ways they've worked is the New International Version of the Bible. I'm not a hater of new translations. I think you always need new translations because language always changes. 
Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in Greek and Hebrew, mostly. So anyone who says a King James is God's only one is ignorant. I mean that positively. They just don't know the truth. It's just silly. As if God likes 1600s English for some reason. Why would he like that? I mean, if, if he had one language, it wasn't, you'd think it'd be German, because Luther translated into German and started the Reformation. Should have new translations. The NIV, I think, in 1984 was a good translation, pretty good. But then in the 90s, they decided we need to be gender neutral. So they started out the TNIV, today's NIV. And they tried as much as possible to get out the he pronouns. <laughs> they changed, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. To, if anyone be in Christ, they are new creations. They made a plural. Well, what's the big deal? I don't know, but if God wanted it singular in the first place, then leave it singular. <laughs> well, then the TNIV didn't sell, so they just made all the NIVs with this gender-neutral stuff in it. So if you have an old NIV, keep it. Don't buy a new one. Just don't. This is the Word of God. We need to honor that book. Without the book, we ain't got a faith. If the book isn't perfect, if the book isn't true, I quit and you should too. Because I base everything in my life on the book. Don't you? Now the book proves itself true by the Spirit, and by my experience, and by my life. I become more convinced of the book, not less. Hymn books have been changed. And I'm not, hey, what is that one? Um, oh, there's a Christmas hymn that well, we'll be hearing, I'm sure. Something says all men, and it just changed to all. What was that? I heard it just today, and I thought, i got to remember that in the sermon, and I just forgot it. So forget I said that. But they're changing hymn books to get the word man out of all the hymns, to get God the Father out of the hymns. And (laughs) Trinity language needs to go. Because if God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, this isn't our enemies doing it. This isn't, I'm not mad at the feminists who don't know Jesus. They're lost. I love them. I'm not here to dog on them. I want them to know Jesus. I'm not even going to fight with them over these things. These are so-called Christians. And they're changing Father, Son, Holy Spirit to things like to um, creator, comforter, sustainer. Well, he is a creator. Holy Spirit is really the comforter, but I'll take that. They all comfort. <laughs> they all create. Jesus, all things were made through him. The Spirit was there. One God, three persons. And you can call him that, but you cannot call him that by setting aside Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because they're patriarchal. Removing male leadership in the home and church is not enough. They have changed the formulation of God himself. And I submit to you, if you change the formulation of God himself, the way he reveals himself, you have forgotten one thing, and that is that God has never changed. God has never changed. God has never changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, he said in Romans 1 that human beings, because we're fallen, will do something. We will create for ourselves gods out of creatures. We will take the creative thing and make it a god. And we say, well, we are too sophisticated. We don't worship totem poles and animals. No, you've just reinvented God in your image, and you worship an idol. And that's actually my next point here. The feminist Christians are not simply renaming God. They're rejecting him altogether. And they're replacing him with a God of their own invention. 
It's no different than a person who worships an idol. Now, so I'm not at war with patriarchalism. The problem with patriarchalism is not male leadership in the home. It's not male leadership in the church. It's not that men run most of the government. The problem is men are sinners, so they will abuse that position. But you can take a man who does not believe in male headship, who does not believe... You can take a good liberal feminist man like, let's say, Matt Lauer... Or Al Franken. Now, I'm not picking on them because of the politics. I'm picking on them because you know them, and you know they don't believe what we believe. They think this is patriarchal nonsense. Would you say they abuse women or they respect women? So apparently the problem isn't the system. And that's what's sad for feminists. They're fighting a fight that even if they want it, they'd lose. The problem is men are sinners. But you know what else? So are women. Women aren't as pure and clean as the driven snow either. As it, as it turns out, according to the scriptures, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God owes you and me what? Nothing. So you don't have to fear patriarchy in the Bible. You don't have to fear Father God or male leadership. <laughs> What you should fear is God who punishes sinners in hell. What you should fear is dying in your sins. Be ye male, female, old or young. Two news stories caught my eye this week. Because they're right along with this sermon. One, first it was the National Church of Sweden. The Evangelical Lutherans. Sweden all got saved in one shot. I like to watch the show The Vikings. I'm not recommending it one way or the other. Because some of you may be offended by the violence and whatnot. Content. But I like it. I like to think about all those Vikings coming down from the north. And beating up all the English. And then the English fighting them. And and they had Thor. Ragnar. They had all their gods. But you know Christianity beat the Vikings. By the Vikings trying to take over. France, which they didn't have any trouble. They sacked Paris. They started Normandy, which is North Man. So they found the French much easier to kill than the English, just like the Germans. But <laughs> it's a World War II joke for you history lovers. But you know what? They lost because they all became Christians. That's how God, they invaded the Christian lands and they all became Christians. And Sweden was one of the countries. Well, this week in the news, the National Church of Sweden, which is the evangelical Lutheran denomination, by the way, instructed their priest to stop referring to God with a masculine pronoun. Told all their priests, stop using he when you mention God. Because you could be offending the ladies in your midst. And then they said, eliminate the word Lord because it's masculine. You know, the Bible says, who is the Antichrist? The one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. The Jesus, but the one, who is the one who saved? The one who says Jesus is Lord, because you say it by the Spirit. Well, they're saying, don't use the word Lord. Really big, important dude or dudette named Jesus. I don't know what you're supposed to call him. What should they do with the Trinity? Get this. This is the formula given to them. Don't say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Say God and the Holy Trinity. 
which I think is confusing, because that's, is that four people? <laughs> God, it, sound, it sounds like an old Motown, you know, God and the Holy Trinitizers, yeah, I got my girl, I mean, so I said, man, National Church of Sweden, telling their priests, don't tell anyone. The second story involves Denzel Washington. Yeah, I said it, Denzel. D- Denzel, as a side note, He may be the coolest man of the 20th and 21st century. I mean, who's with me on that? I mean, I mean, I love Denzel. I love watching Denzel movies. Um, it has nothing to do with the sermon. But he was in the news and asked about incarceration of uh, urban, urban black male problem. And it is a problem. There's something wrong with our system. There's something wrong with our system if such a high percentage of black urban men go to jail. And, and we should care, by the way. I know we ain't got many black folks, but you'd care if that percentage of white suburbanites went to jail. There's something wrong. We can all agree with that, right? Well, he was asked about the problem. He, he gave his assessment. He said this. If the father is not in the home, the boy will find a father in the streets. He meant gangs. He said, I saw it in my generation and every generation before me and everyone since. If the streets raise you, then the judge becomes your mother and the prison becomes your home. It starts with how you raise your children. If a young man doesn't have a father figure, he will go and find a father figure. Now, at this point, I have to insert a big parenthesis because someone talked to me this week and I think I want to let you all know what I think. I've been, you know, we talk and we're talking about, I guess, ideals. Man meets woman, they get married, they love each other, they act like Jesus, they raise children, they act like Jesus, and everything's hunky-dory. But that's not real life. Real life is man says he loves Jesus, but he also loves this woman, uh, you know, named Yolanda over here. And he leaves you, and he leaves, or he dies. Or mom says she loves Jesus, but she also loves uh, Bill, the plumber or whatever. I don't want to, I got to be careful saying names because you might be Bill and you might be a plumber. I'm not talking about you. I'm not talking about you. I got to come up with a weird name. And then you have single moms and single dads. Well, what are they supposed to do? Listen, <laughs> I know that this world is messed up. That's why we preach. The single dad. Yeah, I know. You cannot be a mom and a dad. To a single mom, I know you can't be a dad and a dad, or a dad and a mom. A mom, you know what I'm trying to say. I'm completely confused now. But you get the point. I'm saying, with the help of Christ, you've got to do your best to do your best and trust that God will take care of you and the kids. And you've got to teach your kids what's right to help them perhaps learn from what you know. You have to lean on the church. You ain't got a mother in the home. There are mothers in the church. I know it's not the same, but at least they're godly women who your daughter or your son can learn to interact with, or godly men. I was just, it's funny, I was just getting my hair cut today. If you can call it cut, I just, they just pretty much go, and charge me a lot of money. But <laughs> this woman was telling me about her sister, and I thought, man, this sister's awesome. Um, I, I'm not going to tell you who it is, because then it would be embarrassing. I'm not going to use any names, but this sister, uh, the, the man ran away and left three boys, and she... Send them to military school. <laughs> and she made sure and all asked how they're doing. They're all doing great today. She, she did the hard work. 
She didn't marry again because she couldn't find a man she thought should come into his life. And I'm not saying that that's the way you should do it. I'm saying that's the way she did it. I get single moms and single dads have a different road. It doesn't mean, though, that we should say doing it according to God's way needs to be scrapped so you never hurt the feelings of a single mom or single dad. Right? Um, I love, uh, single parents are my heroes. They really are. And uh, I don't think I'm alone. Some of, many of you who've grown up in uh, homes with divorce and whatnot, you really respect that. And um, so I never want to slight that. I'm going to close that parenthesis and get back to this. So Denzel says that a father, if a boy don't have a father, he's going to run, you know, he could run to the streets and try to find one in a gang. Now, I'm not saying Denzel's an expert on gender. What caught my interest is this. In the first story, God's official representatives, these men these and women now, these priests who are supposed to tell about God, are being told, don't tell anyone that God is, has anything masculine about him. Neuter God. He's not a father. And in the second story, you just have a man observing the culture he saw. And he points out the problem is a lack of fatherhood. And I'm sitting there going, what kind of world do we live in? Where the Jesus representers don't even know God's the father? What a contrast. One excludes fatherhood. And the actor. I mean, I wouldn't take Denzel as your spiritual leader just because he's cool. He, he seems to have more wisdom. Now, I don't know what it's like to grow up without a father. I did grow up in divorce family. But I got to say, both my parents worked hard to, to stay in my life and say they love me. And I love both my parents. Um, so I don't know what that's like. <laughs> Some of you do. One thing I do know is like is to be a father. And I found out that I'm not a perfect father. This was a shock to me. I expected to be. I mean, I listened to James Dobson. I read the books. <laughs> my awesomeness is not as awesome as I thought it was. And then I realize, I guess, no father's perfect, are they? And then I thought, no, that's not true. So friends, I want to end this whole series with one idea. So this ends, I don't know, how many sermons has it been? Eight, nine? This ends eight or nine sermons. One idea, you ready? The entire story of the Bible is meant to lead you to the conclusion. Now, if you read the whole Bible and get the story that's in there, it's to lead you to the conclusion that God is a father to the fatherless. And God is a father to the ones who have imperfect human fathers around. Last uh, fill in the blank here includes Denzel. First time Denzel has ever made it into a map. And just as Denzel noted that young men in the hood need fathers, I submit that every man, woman, boy, and girl on this planet needs God as a heavenly father more than they need us, and I'm thinking of us dads, as an earthly father. Let's go back to that text in Galatians. You know, the fact that you need God as a father, the fact that a pastor standing in front of you telling you you need God as a father, 
If you're not a Christian, that should bother you a little bit. Because what I'm supposed to say is, look, you lousy slob of a... Whoa, almost went down. Look, you lousy slob of a sinner. God's going to crush your head if you don't shape up. Which he will if you don't shape up. But that's not... And if you be as good as these nice Christians around you, you'll go to heaven. Guilt is the gift that keeps on giving. And I'm going to give you the guilt and you're going to behave. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the whole story of the Bible says, God says you need a dad in heaven and he's him. That's a different message, isn't it? That first message would make me run because I ain't good enough to be a preacher. I ain't good enough to be saved. I ain't good enough morally. But if I hear God says to me, son, I want to call you Son, and I want you to call me Father. And I give him all my what ifs, all my yeah buts. Yeah, but I'm a sinner. Yeah, but I did this. Yeah, but I did that. Yeah, but you're big and scary. What if this happens and you don't like me? What if that? And he just says, Would you hush? I know what you did, I know who you are. I want to wash away all your sin. I'll handle all the baggage, but I want to adopt you. And call you by my name. Will you come to me? That's the story of the Bible. Let's go to Galatians 6 or 3. And let's get the context of our verse. There is neither male nor female. Starting verse 26. For in Christ Jesus you are all what? What's it say? You can say it out loud. Sons of God. Say it out loud. The campus is too. You are all sons of God. That's a masculine term. Ladies, welcome to the masculine Through faith, by believing. For as many as you were baptized into Christ, you've put on Christ. We're not going to deal with that verse now. It's important, but we're not going to deal with it. Then you get, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, if you're all one in Christ Jesus. So in what context does the distinction of whether I'm a male or a female, a Jew or a Greek or a slave or free come in? Because I can say, well, I ain't a Jew like you, like you Jews, because the, Jew, the Bible's written by Jews, too. It's not just patriarchal, it's Jewryarchical. I made that up. I ain't a Jew? How can I be a son of God? That don't matter. Well, I'm not even a man. How can I be a son of God? It don't matter. That's the context. It has nothing to do with who's in charge in the marriage, does it? Verse 4 of the next, I, I, can't, I don't have time to give you the sentences in between. So we're gonna, you can read them yourself. It all flows with one idea. But verse 4 of the next chapter says, But when the fullness of time had come, God in heaven sent forth his Son from heaven. <laughs> and God, who, who never changes, God the Son, took on what? The body. How did he do it? He was born of a woman. Into the body of a woman. Into the body of a woman. That's the season we're in. He was born under the law, just like you. He has to do good, just like you. Unlike you, he will do good, because he has no sin. Why, why did God become a little tiny man? To redeem those who are under the law. To buy us back. To redeem. To pay the bill. To die on a cross and with his blood pay 
for all that I did wrong, to take the blame for everything I have done wrong, to take the blame for everything you have done wrong. He paid the bill. Don't go through life thinking God owes you. Don't go through life listening to Christian pastors who tell you you're so important. You're so wonderful. God just can't wait to get to you. That's a load of El Toro poo-poo. You are needy. You are needy and helpless and sinful. And God doesn't need you. But he came to redeem you with his blood. Why? So he could show off so that he might receive, that we might receive adoption as sons. Because you are sons. God has sent the spirit of his son, Jesus, into our hearts. That's the third person of the Trinity, the spirit. Crying, Abba, Father, if you haven't been told this before, let me tell you. Abba, the the Hebrew word for father is Av, A-V, Av. It's often pronounced with a B in English. Ab. And Abba is just saying daddy. When you come to know Christ, you're no longer a slave. You're a son. And if a son, you're an heir through God, which means you get the whole household. You see, Christianity is not about you being good enough to earn a place in heaven. It's about adoption into a family where you are loved by the father in the family. Question, are you outside of that family now and would you like to come in? Would you like to be adopted by God? I know you got your yabbits and your what ifs. Your yabbit could be, well, I, uh, my mom doesn't understand this religion. I'm not sure I do. Your what ifs, oh, this will change everything. It's God, the Father's calling to your heart, not me. Saying, come home. <laughs> I didn't come to mess up your life and send you to hell. I came to save you and make you my son. Or, and I can say this correctly, biblically, my daughters. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.